parable of the Good Samaritan, one of those most famous of uh, Jesus' stories that he told. They weren't necessarily historical stories as much as they were yarns that he spun to illustrate a point. He told the story of the Good Samaritan for, the pur- for a few purposes. One was to give us a picture of what it means to love our neighbor, and another one was to show us how far short we fall from God's standard of what it means to love our neighbor, and then ultimately to show us and give us a picture of what it means to, to know the love of God in Christ, who is the final and ultimate Good Samaritan. So we've been looking at a diff- few different aspects of this, the challenge of uh, justification, the challenge of uh, helping other people out, of seeing people, the problems with religion and things like that. But today, what we're going to look at is, is the challenge of generosity. Because the, good, good, the story of the Good Samaritan is fundamentally a story about someone who was tremendously generous with all of his life. So let's, let's read this again. I'll, I'll lead us in reading it again. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The teacher answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, but who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and they went away and left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have had. Now which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go thou and do likewise. This is God's word for God's people this morning. So today I want to talk about generosity. And and in a sense, that's an easy thing to talk about because when we talk about the different virtues that people espouse, the different virtues that people seek to cultivate in their life, generosity, I think, is one of the most universally attractive of virtues. Everybody likes a generous person regardless of your religion or your worldview or your perspective on life. We all want to have friends who are generous, you know, and I think everybody agrees that it's good to be generous to other people. Uh, You know, generosity to me means fundamentally that you're tuned into the needs of other people. You're aware of what they need and, and 
you're open-handed in dealing with those. Just as, and so to love your neighbor as yourself, you know, just as you're tuned into your own needs, you know, have you noticed when you get hungry, you, you know you're hungry, and you tend to, you know, when we get hungry, what do we do? We go find something to eat, right? Because we're, we're very aware of our own needs. But to be generous means, in, in whatever ways are practical or possible, to be tuned into the needs of the people around us and to be committed to meeting their needs when and how we can. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a mark of what love is. You know, when Jesus is answering the question, what does it mean to love my neighbor, he tells the story of a man who was profoundly generous. You know, lo love in its essence, you know, when you love someone, when they're joyful, it makes you joyful. When they're sad, it makes you sad. When, when they're happy, it makes you happy. That's, that's kind of the essence of, of that dynamic of being connected to someone in, with a feeling of love. So generosity is, is, is a mark of love. It's of the essence of what it means to love our neighbors. But it's also a mark of godliness. And what I mean by that is what the Christian gospel believe, what, what, what the Bible teaches and what Christians believe is that God is, among other things, a profoundly generous God. And in fact, to become a Christian in its essence is to recognize the generosity of God and then accept the generosity of God for you as it's expressed in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And so the gospel is all about the story of a generous God. And so when we see pictures of generosity, it gives us a perspective on who God is. It gives us a perspective on who Jesus is and what he came to do and what it means to be loved by him. So, you know, the Good Samaritan in this story, the Good Samaritan is our model of generosity. And we see that there's a lot of different aspects to it. He's generous with his attention. He's not just walking down the street with his head in the clouds. He notices somebody where the priest and the Levite walked by and didn't notice the man who was dying on the side of the road. The Good Samaritan, he notices them. And then he stops. He's generous with his time. He had places to go. We all have places to go. But he stops to help. And then he's generous with his stuff. It says he pours out his oil and wine, probably the stuff he was bringing home for the pantry at home. Instead, he, he blows it all trying to help, desperately help this guy. And then he's generous with his effort. He carries the guy to the inn. He puts him on his, on his, uh, on his, his donkey and carries him to the inn. And then finally, he's generous with his money. He gives, gives the innkeeper two denarii, which, which means two days wages, to uh, cover the guy. And he says, if you spend any more, just uh, let me know. You know I'm good for it. I'll, I'll I'll take care of it when I come back through. And, you know, uh, like I said, a denarii is a day's wage. So two denarii, two days wages, that's like 40% of a week's salary. And so if you think of, of what you earn in a week, imagine you just decided on, on uh, you know, suddenly to give 40% of your week's salary to help a particular individual who was in need, who you just met. That's what, that's what the uh, Good Samaritan story gives us a picture of. It's not giving, putting a quarter in a cup. It's putting probably hundreds and hundreds of dollars into someone's hand to help somebody who's in need. So that's a, that's a picture of generosity. It's, 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 this, it's a, a little bit of his life he gives away, his attention, his time, his strength, 
and his money for the sake of somebody who is hurting. And that, that's the challenge. You know, everybody wants to be around people who are generous, but the one thing we don't necessarily want to do is be people who are generous, right? Because that, that's going to cost us. And, and you know, it's, it's one of the ironies of being members of the American middle class, you know, being part of the economic engine that is America today. It's like no matter how much we get, it's, it's just never ever enough. You know, we're all engaged in this, this rat race, which just seems to have diminishing returns the faster and the harder that we go. You know, because the problem is, as soon as you get a promotion, you get richer, you start making more, then, then, then what do you do? You, you move into a richer neighborhood, you get richer friends, you, you, you want to go on more expensive vacations, and, and, and then from there, you just see even richer people who are doing even more expensive things and living in in more expensive houses, and, and it's, it's just a, a cycle that never, ever ends. As uh, one of my friends, Pat Morley, put it, have you ever noticed that if you win the rat race, you're still a rat? <laughs> Something to think about. He, someone described uh, the middle class conundrum this way, it's uh, that we, we spend money we can't spare on stuff we don't need, all to impress people who just don't care. And, and uh, you know, I think may maybe you've, you've found yourself getting caught up in that cycle. One of the surprises that people have noticed in the, um, as they've, they've studied human behavior and psychologists have come to recognize, is, is how profoundly there's a diminishing marginal utility of money. In, or in other words, you know, once, I mean, obviously, if you're stressed out, if you're getting evicted from your apartment, that's a problem. If you can't put food on the table, that's a problem. If you have medical bills that are, that are bankrupting you, that's a problem. But, but once you get to the place where you can pay for your shelter, you can pay for your food, your, your kid's education is taken care of, your medical bills are taken care of, and, and things like that, once you get there, beyond that, more money just doesn't actually make you any better off. In fact, in a lot of ways, it, it, it disrupts our life and makes, makes, makes us more liable to a variety of problems. Ben Franklin summed up the human condition this way. He said, who is rich? He who is content. And then he said, well, who's content? Absolutely nobody. At least that was what Ben Franklin thought. You know, um, Paul the Apostle had a different take on it. Uh, he actually claimed something of a miracle of his, in his life. If you could put up Philippians 4 there. It says, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. He's talking at the end of his life, and he said, I've had a broad experience. I've been, been flat broke. I've, 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 uh, I've had been well taken care of at other times. But I've learned a secret of how to be content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. And the secret is this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul said, you know, contentment isn't natural. It is, isn't normal. It's supernatural. It's something that, that, is, uh, that, that takes something of a miracle in our lives. And that miracle is understanding the grace of God for us. And so 
that's, that's what the Christian gospel offers us is a path to contentment that doesn't necessarily involve more, but involves being thankful and recognizing God's generosity to us. Because the Bible says in a lot of places, in a lot of different ways, that God's biggest competitor in our life is money. The biggest thing that's going to push God out of your life or make you think that you don't need God is money or the pursuit of money. The biggest thing that you're going to tend to to serve in your life instead of serving God will be money. The biggest thing you're going to seek in your life instead of seeking God will be money. That's why Jesus says in one place, you can't serve two masters. Either you love one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money at the same time. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 17, Paul puts it this way. Those who are rich in the present world should not be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What's the temptation of wealth? It's the temptation is that we put our hope in, in money instead of putting our hope in God. We put our hope and say, well, if I get a certain amount of money in the bank or if I can get my paycheck to a certain place, then then I'll finally be happy, then I'll finally be secure, then I'll finally feel like I can do the things I need to do. But, but what Paul says here is that that just leads to arrogance and uncertainty. Wealth is, the problem with wealth is it's too uncertain because the reality is you can put millions of dollars in the bank, but then a, uh, a little flake of cholesterol pumping through your veins can give you a heart attack and, and it's all gone before you even notice it, know it. So the Bible says that the grand temptation is to put our hope in other things, but God says, put your hope in me. So that's the challenge of money. But then I want to talk secondly about the, the, the importance of consideration here. You know, the story of the of the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite, these bu busy religious professionals, they walk right by the guy who's dying on the side of the road. They can't even look, you know, they kind of avert their eyes and just keep going because they were busy because they had things to do and they had people to see and, and uh, you know, probably important committee meetings to attend or whatever. But the Good Samaritan, he walks by and he sees the guy. He sees the person in need and whatever was on his agenda for the day is dropped from, for, from his agenda so he can get involved. And that's the place of blessing. Look at Psalm 41.1. The Bible says, blessed is he who considers the poor. And you know, that, that's, a, that's a, a kind of a profound verse to think about. I was just thinking about our culture, about our, about our lives. You know how we tend to get obsessed about the richest man in the world or this celebrity or, or that famous uh, business tycoon and, and the things that they do and the things that they might say and the advice that they might give or whatever it is. Uh, you know, we, we tend to allow ourselves to be preoccupied by, by these types of people. But what the Bible says is the person we should consider the person we need to consider, the person who, who God wants us to consider is the nobody, to consider the poor, to consider the person on the margin, to consider the person with needs, and to consider how you can help them. So the, 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 the Good Samaritan starts his work by making a decision that he's going to consider 
the guy who has nothing, that he's going to consider his pain, going to consider his needs, and he's going to consider his issues more important than the Good Samaritan's personal agenda. And then the third thing I want you to see is the connection. The Good Samaritan gets involved with the situation. He sees a desperate man and he says, I've got to take care of him. You know, this isn't just a story of him giving money to, uh, to the, the Highway Victims Fund. He, he gets involved. He gets down from his donkey. He, he pours out his stuff. He, he makes bandages, makeshift bandages out of whatever cloths he has. And then he carries the guy to the inn and takes care of him for a day before he moves on and, and, and hands him over to the innkeeper. And one of the things that I've discovered over the years of working with people is that as you get involved with people in needs, as you get involved with particular uh, people who are facing challenges and get to know their stories and get to know the, the, the struggles they have, then it, what happens is it becomes easy to support those things. And uh, an experience I had for about a decade at my previous church, I've shared this with, with many of you in part, but but I was heavily involved with an organization called Foundation for Peace, uh, which worked in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And uh, what happened was a couple of medical doctors went down there on a little trip and they saw the, the conditions in some of the villages out there, uh, you know, where people didn't have, have access to basic water, didn't have schoolhouses to, to, to do school in. You know, churches were meeting under trees because they didn't have buildings and things like that. And... Uh, and so they, they decided to uh, just start taking trips down there to help out. And then just from informally going down and, and through their network of friends and helping out, they decided to make it a church trip. And then the, the, uh, the organization got too big to, just to be part of a church, and so they formed their own organization and just continued to grow and grow and grow as people got involved until, uh, you know, when, when I left, they had about a dozen full-time employees and and we're sending literally thousands of uh, thousands thousands of people on short-term missions to the Dominican Republic and and to Haiti every year. But the thing that that struck me about it is is this was all driven by a handful of guys who were medical doctors and and medical directors at, at various pharmaceutical companies, and. Uh, who, who were deeply engaged, who had personal relationships in Haiti and in the Dominican Republic, and, and they spent all their extra time working on making this program happen, using their networks to get medical devices and to get, get, uh, get uh, medicines donated to the project, recruiting people and organizing these groups that went down, and, and being part of this thing and, and developing the relationships with the people that were, were down there. And, and it was just striking to me because these were all guys who by rights should have been going to the Dominican Republic to play golf, but instead they were going down there to, to get dirty in the villages and build these churches and, and help, help these families and help these pastors out. And, uh, and, and they were giving all that they could to this project in addition to recruiting lots of other people to be a, a part of it. And, and it just showed me that, you know, the best way to be generous, that generosity in its essence involves being willing to share your life with something, being willing to commit your time and your energy and your focus and your concerns to a particular cost. 
uh, to a particular cause and, and to get involved, and get involved with it. And that, as you do that, then things like writing a check or, or, uh, or uh, making a donation become just a natural part of that relationship. And so, so that, that was an in inspiring and instructive lesson for me as I saw a large group of people just get, make their, live, make their own lives fuller, make their own lives more joyful because of the what looked like a sacrifice, but was really them just sharing the gifts that God had given them, the abilities God had given them, and the resources God had given them to help people in another country. And so, so anyways, that, that's a picture of generosity, but it comes from that personal connection. For the Good Samaritan, he couldn't possibly just, just abandon the guy at the roadside inn. He had to make sure that his bills were paid and that he was going to get, get uh, taken care of. And, and as you get involved with people, it's going to become, it, it'll become easy for you to, to uh, start planning and giving and sacrificing and taking the initiative to make sure that people are helped. So, 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 uh, so it, it evolves out of a, generosity always evolves out of a personal connection. But finally, what we want to see here is this, this is a picture, a picture of what God has done for us. Jesus says, at the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan, he says, this was a practical picture. He says, go thou and do likewise. He says, okay, so this is, this, is the, this is the agenda for all of you people as well. Just go and do exactly what the Good Samaritan did, and, uh, and that's, that's what you have to, and, and that's the model of love. But in the picture of the whole New Testament, what we see is the story of the Good Samaritan isn't just a story about what God is calling us to do. First and foremost, it's a picture and a story of what God has done for us. It's a story of the work of Jesus for us, how Jesus came down from heaven to earth and became a servant. The king became a servant, and the one who was immortal became mortal, and the one who was who was to be the conqueror, allowed himself to be conquered so that we could be redeemed. That's, that's what's at the heart of the Christian message. It's not merely that we should be good and do good for the sake of others, but that God humbled himself and God sacrificed himself and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The story of the Good Samaritan is really about us in this sense, that we're the ones who are helpless and in need of charity. We're the ones who need someone to come down and give us a hand. And Jesus came and did that. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Good Friday is about, where he died on the cross. And that's ultimately what Easter is about where Jesus conquered death and conquered the corruption and the brokenness of this world for all of us. So generosity in our hearts, it starts when we recognize that we can't buy the thing that we need the most. We need to receive it as a gift of charity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, 
Paul the Apostle puts it this way, You know already the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich, but for you He became poor. He became poor by giving Himself away for you so that you through His poverty might become rich. Christian life is a life where we're called to generosity because we've experienced God's grace and generosity towards us when we were bankrupt and needed charity. And the mark of those who've been affected by that will be that we'll, we will become a generous, generous people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the generosity of Jesus. And I pray for, I pray particularly for those of who come here today and they feel kind of beat up by life, beat up by their circumstances, beat up by their uh, debt collectors, beat up by uh, just the way things have gone, that you would remind us of the hope that we have because of your generosity to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to live in that hope and help us to Help us to express that hope and reflect that hope to a watching world, we pray in his holy name. Amen.